Hey, well, it's good to be together this morning. As Bron said, what we want to do is press the pause button this morning and I want to talk about this theme called hope. Why? Because I was talking to a shopkeeper this week, uh, someone who runs a small business, and they said to me, you know what, during this whole COVID season, the whole business has had to close and my husband has been out of work and my children are at home. And as she was talking, I realised that what she was talking about and raising with me was this sense of uncertainty, uncertainty of the future, uncertainty of what her life might be like. I've been speaking with people over this past number of months during lockdown, those who have been socially isolated, who haven't had the opportunity to connect with others in the same way that they naturally would. And as I've heard people talking about the social dislocation and the sense of aloneness that they have felt, I've realised that these times have been uncertain times. And if you like, our globe, our nation, our state has been in dearth for hope. So what is hope? Hope is that sense that uh, something better is just around the corner. Hope is that sense that the final word right here is not the end and that there's something better to come. Hope is that anticipation that everything that is happening to me right now is not the end game, but there might be something better that is just ahead and just around the corner. So I want to talk about hope. Joel's bringing that up right now. This sense in which even though there might be storms and winds blowing in my life, that there's something that we hold on to that we call this thing hope. If you like, I think our world has been experiencing an erosion of hope. We've been hoping for the borders to open up. We've been hoping for a vaccine to be found. We've been hoping for the numbers to fall. Hope. And then earlier this week, Bron and I sat beside a young man who I had the privilege of marrying, he and his wife, just six years ago. We sat beside his bed as his body was failing. And if the world looked on in that particular room, in that particular time, they might conclude that his situation was hopeless. But the truth of the matter is that as we stood and sat beside him and spoke to him, there was this overwhelming sense of hopefulness. So that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. Hope. But not just any kind of hope. I want to talk about the Christian hope and where we might find that. So I wonder if you have a Bible there, I'd invite you to just grab hold of it. And you might want to follow in some of the passages that I want to address this morning. You might want to write some of those things down. And I'd like to just pause right now and ask that wherever you are, if you're checking out God, you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, that you might meet with him afresh this morning. You might meet with him for the very first time so that you might know what is his hope and the assurance that you can have of that hope. For this life. Join me as I pray. Jesus, right now I ask and invite you to speak. That you might open up our hearts and minds and that no matter where people are at on a scale of hopefulness or hopelessness, that you might speak, that you might challenge, that you might meet with us today. And I pray this in your name. Amen. 
If you ask those early followers of Jesus what gave them a sense of hope, I think that they would share with you one of two convictions. The first one being this. They carried a conviction that God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, would actually come in and enter into space-time and renew the creation itself. They got this from their prophets, the people of old that spoke and foretold about what God would do. Uh, Habakkuk says these words, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There was this sense within those early followers of Jesus that God was going to actually enter into this world and put wrongs to rights, if you like. Things had entered into God's good creation that didn't exist there or shouldn't have been there and that God would one day come and put wrong things to right. You see, they understood that they lived in a world that was filled with disease and death and suffering and this disease called sin. That, that proclivity that people have to say, God, get out of my life, I want to do things my way. And as a result of that, all kinds of evils and tyrannies and hardship and difficulty was part of the landscape in which they dwelt. And so ask an early follower of Jesus, a Jewish person, what they hoped for. And they would carry this simple conviction, this strong conviction that God would come one day and intervene and he would put wrongs to rights. Isaiah, the prophet, says these words. He says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days for an old man who does not live out his years, or an old man who does not live out his years. You see, Isaiah carried on this sense of conviction that God had spoken and the creator and the maker of the universe would break in one day and he would bring his peace. And anyone who wanted to build towards his kingdom were welcome into that space and all the dark forces of disease and evil and sin and suffering will be dispelled from his good creation and that peace may reign and his life may dwell that if you like his glory and his presence would fill this earth just like the waters cover the sea you see they carried this conviction that God would act if you press them a little bit deeper they would also share with you the excitement that they believed, if you like, that this world was broken into two sort of separate phases. They lived in the present age and they longed for a future age in which that future age of God would break into the present. And so when you press them and you ask, they would say, not only do we believe and long for and hold a conviction that God will renew his creation, but that in Jesus, that renewing of his creation had already begun. Paul, one of the writers in the Bible, says this about the events around Jesus' death and his resurrection. He says these words, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. But Christ, he goes on to say, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, and his name is Jesus. You see, those early followers of Jesus held the conviction that not only that God would act to recreate his creation, dispel all the forces of darkness and evil and disease and death and suffering, but that in Jesus, that renewing had actually begun. They described it like a first fruits. 
Now, if you come to my house and you look out of our bedroom window, you'll see that there are two crabapple trees. And at this season, every year, for about two weeks, all the buds on the crabapples, they break open. And it is a glorious sight until it rains. And then all those petals, they go dark and they just wither away. And the tree is kind of just left bare with the leaves growing. But the beauty of the tree right now is that when those leaves are budding, when, if you like, those flowers are starting to break open, it signals that the fruit is about to start to grow. And there's not just one crabapple on those trees. In fact, the first crabapple is only a signal that there are hundreds, I hope, to come. So too, when those early followers of Jesus had witnessed his resurrection, they believed that his resurrection, his bodily resurrection, was not just a one-off anomaly for the world, but that in fact, God's new creating fresh power had come to life, had broken through, had defeated death and darkness and sin and Satan itself, and that he had come to new life. And that new life signaled the beginning of the end of all things. If you like Jesus, was the first fruit that signaled the second fruits and the third fruits and the fourth fruits to come. And so they carried this inner conviction that Jesus had begun something fresh and the future had broken into the present and God's great renewing had taken place. They also believed that anyone who bends their knee to Jesus and places their simple confidence and trust in him, that they were caught up in Jesus' New creation. Paul goes on and he writes these words. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if anyone is in Jesus, in the Messiah, in the chosen one, in the Son of God, the new creation has come. The old things have passed and behold, new things are here. And that was their experience. Their experience is that when they open up their heart and their mind to Jesus, when they said, come into my life, that they experienced a cleansing and a renewing, a forgiving. That their sins had been washed clean. That their old lives had passed away and that they had entered into that new future that had broken into and was breaking into this old world and that they were part of a new creation that was to come. If you like, they were the first fruits of Jesus' activity, that he had made a way for anyone and everyone who believes in him to come and that they will be part of his great new creation. If you press them then and said, where do you have your sense of hope? Where do you find your sense of conviction about these things? They would say undoubtedly that our hope was in him. It wasn't in any other thing, any other person, any other leader, any other ruler. It was in a person and his name was Jesus Christ. And because of what he had done, they could be confident that what was true for him had become true for them. That if he had risen to new life, that one day they would rise to new life. That if he had defeated the the powers and the dark powers, that those powers had been defeated over them. That if he had defeated the power of death, that death was defeated over them. That if he had washed them clean of their sins and he had paid that price, that their sins had been paid for. They were washed clean too. That if he had started up a new train, a new family, a new people that reached into the new creation, that waited for God's presence to come and fill this earth and renew it, that they would be caught up and part of that renewing themselves. And so this gave them a great sense of 
hope, of conviction, of confidence that they were caught up in something that was only just part of their experience now, but it reached into the eternal ages. If you like, God had begun that new thing in Jesus and that they were part of that too. But they also wrestled with this question. As they looked around about them, they realized that whilst the future had broken into the present, there was still the presence of disease and darkness and sin and death still was spoiling God's good creation. And so they wondered, how do we live in between these times? If you like, they were the in-betweeners. Now, about a year and a half ago, when I was over in Scotland, uh, firstly, my family came to visit, but the girls arrived first, Bron and the girls. I remember going to Edinburgh Airport to pick them up, and I wanted to make sure that I was going to be there on time. And uh, so I got there ahead of time, and I thought, I want to give them a surprise, and so I went and bought three bouquets of flowers. I thought, one for each of them as they arrive. This is a good thing to do, a willing thing I wanted to do. I just wanted to surprise them. So I got there early, stood at the airport, and I determined that their plane had arrived and that they had landed it in Embro safely. And there I stood for the next three hours. You see, it seems as though there was a collusion Every other aircraft that was arriving from every other destination seemed to arrive at that simultaneous moment. And for some reason, the aircraft got bumped to the bottom as they were passing through customs. So there I waited, bouquets in hand, standing for the next three hours. Now, if you had have asked me if my family had arrived, I would have said, yes, of course, they're here. They've arrived. That is certain and that is sure. But if you had asked me, is your experience of such that you have been reunited? I would say, no, I'm still waiting with bouquets in hand. <laughs> That's how those early followers of Jesus lived. The future had broken into the present. If you'd asked them, has something changed? They would say, almost oh, decisively. But we're still waiting for that future to be fully realized. We're living in between the times. And so as they lived in between the times, they carried, if you like, two assurances. The first assurance was this. It was the assurance of life. Jesus said these words to his disciples the night before he was to die. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, in my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You see, those first followers of Jesus living, looking around the world and realizing that there was still disease and darkness and tyranny in it, they carried this assurance of life that Jesus had defeated all things, therefore their life ultimately was secure. But Jesus had said to them that even if you die in this life, I want you to know that I'm preparing a place for you. And between the times when the new heavens and the new earth will arrive, you will be with me and you will be safe. Because in my father's house, there are many rooms and you will be held there safely and securely. You see, they carry this assurance of life. The second thing they carried with them was an assurance 
of his authority. John writes these words. These things I've spoken to you. These are words that Jesus said to his followers. So that in me you may have peace. You see, in the world you will have trouble and suffering. But take courage. I have overcome the world. You see, the first followers of Jesus didn't believe that just by their virtue of following him that they were wrapped up in some kind of bubble that would protect them from the adversities of life. But what they carried with them was the assurance that they and their lives were ultimately secure because they had the assurance that Jesus has ultimate control over all things. He is the one who has authority over all powers, even death itself. If you like, they understood that they were not immune to adversity. This might strike many of us as being unsettling. Particularly if you've grown up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, where you've grown up with all these kinds of shields that you've been completely unaware of, that have been wrapped around yourself, that have, if you like, provided something of a protective sense of security in your life. It's given you a false sense of, a, of confidence or security. You see, when the bushfires came, and they came close to our suburbs, I suggest that there was an erosion of one of our securities. The outside forces could actually touch the suburbs and there was an erosion. And then when the temperatures got hot during the daytime and we turned on our air conditioners and there was power failures, we had another erosion of security. This sense that even the energy supplies to our houses might not be all that reliable. And then COVID broke out and there was a further erosion of security. Our scientists and our medical doctors may not have this entirely covered. They're still looking for some kind of cure, some kind of protective agency. But I suggest to you that with that came the erosion of another shield or a barrier that, that caused us to think, in whom or where do I find my security? And then as we've looked around at the geopolitics of this world and the shifting powers and pressures and that the leaderships that have have undertaken to try and respond to the various sort of challenges that we've been facing and we've realized that our leaders are frail and that they have faults and that, that not everything can be taken care of. We've had another, if you like, erosion of another layer of security that, that even the people that we've entrusted our leadership to might not actually have this covered. And I think what it's done is caused us to internally reflect and ask the question, where is my security? In whom will I trust? You see, if you press those early followers of Jesus and ask them, where is their security? They would say, it's not in any particular leader. I mean, these disciples, when they grew, they actually, and then they spread throughout the empire. History tells us that all of them died a martyr's death bar one. And his name was John. The only one that lived to old age. Others made it through the, the tyranny of Nero's leadership in 64. Some of them lived through Claudius' adversity and his cruel reign. 
but die they all did. And if you ask them in whom or where do you find your trust and where is your sense of assurance, what can you hope for? They would say our hope is in Jesus and the assurance we have is that he has life covered and that he has ultimate authority and control to which all other authorities and powers will one day be accountable to. If you like, they carried this sense that even though the world might be in turmoil, their hope was secured. Because they also carried with them two promises of Jesus who had said these words to them. The first promise that Jesus offered, he says to his disciples, the end of Matthew's good news account, he promised them his presence. Jesus said, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you and look, I am with you every single day to the very end of this present age. You see, Jesus wasn't promising them that when they followed him that they would enter some sort of protective bubble that would make them immune from adversity in life. But he would say to them, even in the midst of the adversities of life and the diseases and the suffering and the heartache, I want you to know when you sometimes feel like I may have left you, I want you to know that you have not been abandoned by me. I am with you and I am with you always. You are not abandoned by God. You are not abandoned by me. The second promise that they held on to admits sometimes their persecutions and their sufferings and the diseases that they would have been exposed to was simply this. There was the promise of his empowering presence amidst the adversity that they may have faced. Paul writes these words about an affliction that he experienced. And we don't know what the affliction was, but he says he came to God and he said three times, would you remove this from me? And these are the words he heard back. He heard these words, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses because I've discovered that even in the midst of my weaknesses, that God supplies his gracious power to me to stand firm and to stand ashore and to lift up and to make a way forward even in the midst of my hardship. It's as though he is empowering me. And Paul understood that these two things were promises of Jesus. His promise that he would not abandon and the promise of his empowering presence were the very things that sustained him. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. I'm not suggesting for a moment that there aren't times in which God doesn't reach down and rescue people and save people from all kinds of adversities. Ask my wife Bronwyn. She'd say when she was younger, she had celiac disease, but she prayed and other people prayed for her. And there was a moment and a time in her life in which she went back to the doctors and they said, we don't get this. We don't understand this, but you no longer have celiac disease and you can eat cake. And boy, did she love that. But there's also other times in which we can't make sense of some of the pain and the suffering around about us. There was a man named Brian when Bron and I first studied over in the United States many years ago. Brian Blankensop. Brian was from military background and he always did the right things. But he had a heart of gold. 
One day Bron shared that she didn't have the right clothing, the sort of the rugged outfits for the Pacific Northwest winters. Brian heard this. After one of our classes one day, he pulled her aside and said, come over to the car for a second. He opened the boot and he pulled out this brand spanking new, amazing warm jacket. He said to her, put it on. So she did. She said, it fits. He said, I know. And it's yours. You can just have it. That was the kind of heart that Brian had. That's why a couple of years after we left uh, the Pacific Northwest and returned to Australia here, it didn't surprise me to hear that Brian was out one night and he had discovered that there was someone who'd broken down their car on the side of the highway. You see, he used to carry an empty jerry can with him such that if people had run out of fuel, he would drive, get new fuel, he would just come and fill up their car and send them on their way. Well, this particular night he had pulled over and sure enough, the person had broken down and there he was putting all the lights out on the freeway just to divert the traffic so that he could attend to the broken down vehicle. But what he didn't anticipate was the drunk driver that was driving on that highway that very night who didn't see Brian putting out his signal markers and instantaneously in that very moment collected him and he died. He died a follower of Jesus, serving other people as his heart led him to do. You see, there's one question the Bible never answers, is why? Why, God, do you allow this person to be sort of freed from their suffering and then this other person to go through what seems to be the shortening of a life and the the cutting off of life all too soon, particularly when they seem to be the ones who follow you? They're the good ones who are doing right things. How come bad things happen to good people? How come bad things happen to Jesus' followers? And I think Jesus would gently whisper back, Remember, I didn't promise that you would be immune from adversity. My cross paid for the penalties of sins. You can be washed clean. My resurrection defeated the powers of death and I am ruling and one day will bring all creation back together again. But I want you to know these two things, the assurance of life and the assurance that I have authority. And then when you dare to hear these words whispering in your ear, That just because something terrible has happened to you in earthly standards, I want you to know that God has not abandoned you. And I will give you my empowering presence to help you through this season of adversity, whatever it is, whatever has come. Would you lean into me and dare to believe that I am still good and I have overcome all things even in the midst of it. That was the hope of those very first followers of Jesus. Their hope was in Him. Not for a perfect life, not for being shielded from all adversities, but their God was with them and He had secured their eternity And therefore, they could live their life with the fresh freedom that nothing else could afford them. When Jesus once said to Peter and the disciples, how hard it is for rich people to enter into God's life because they have wrapped themselves up with so many securities that they're trusting in these things rather than to reach out and place their ultimate trust 
in the person who has life over death, Peter's response was this. I tell you the truth, replied Jesus. Uh, Peter had said to Jesus, well, what's in it for us? We have left everything to follow you. And Jesus replies to Peter with these words. No one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands because of me and the good news will fail to receive back a hundred times more in this present age. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and lands with persecutions and finally the life of the age to come. What Jesus was saying is you're not going to have a terrific portfolio of all the different housing properties that you've acquired, but because you have a whole new set of brothers and sisters that aren't defined by blood, but by the new birth of creation, you will have a new, if you like, family with all their houses and brothers and sisters and you get to share in that new life, Peter. But it doesn't mean that you'll have a bubble around you and you won't face persecution and adversities, but be assured of this, that your life is secure into the ages. So let me ask you this question, the most important question this morning. Where is your hope found and in whom? Have you been experiencing the erosion and wondering where security is to be found? Let me put it to you in a different way. If you were to die today, do you know where you would go and to whom you would be with? Do you know the hope of God's eternal life, life of the age to come, such without a question of any doubt, you would carry that assurance and that confidence that you will be with Him? Because if you don't, I want to invite you today to make that sure and secure for yourself. How? It's when you open up your life and you receive Jesus into it. The Bible says this, To all who received him, he gave the right to become a child of God. Do you know that assurance that only he can give? Paul writes in another place, he says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the King, the Lord, the boss of this universe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him to new life, then you will be rescued, then you will be saved, then you will enter into his new life and it will be now and it will have assurance and you can know. Do you have the assurance that only God can give? That comes in someone's life when you relinquish the, your right to secure your destiny for yourself and you give your security and find it in Him. If you're not sure of that today, I'd invite you in a moment to respond to Him. Maybe there's a wrestle in your heart right now and you felt it before. And you know it's a wrestle of who wants to be in control. And Jesus says, if you give me control, I will come in and my new life will enter. And you can have a confidence and assurance of the age to come and my presence with you now. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're facing an adversity that seems too great. You're carrying a burden which is too heavy. And you need to be reminded of the presence and the whisper of Jesus that God has not abandoned you. And that if you reach to him even in the midst of this and ask for his empowering presence, that he will come.
In a moment, we're going to listen to a song. But the confident hope that those first followers of Jesus had when the storms raged in their life were secured in these words. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul and it is firm and secure. And that anchor is Jesus Christ, the one who has overcome all things. Do you know that hope that only God can give? If you would like to know that hope now or to reach out to him and experience his empowering presence, then would you pray with me now? And then we're going to listen to a song. And I would invite you to just pause and allow God to speak to you. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe worship him afresh. But to draw near. Father God, in this place right now, for anyone here who's listening, who is wrestling right now, when it comes to the things of security and in whom would they trust, I pray that they might know your loving presence to them now. And Father, for anyone right now who wants to know that assurance, I ask that they may turn to you. And if you would like to receive Jesus into your life right now, then why don't you join with me in prayer? God, would you come into my life? Jesus, I want to place my trust in you. Come, forgive me, wash me, renew me, fill me. I commit my life to following you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a listen to this.